comes to the holiday season, we all have plans for how we want things to go, right? We, and in our imaginations, things always go as we imagine them going. But of course, there is a rather large gap sometimes between what we expect to happen and what actually ends up happening. So for young parents, there's this new thing out called Elf on the Shelf. Maybe you've heard of it. Elf on the shelf where you place the elf around the house. It's the idea is that the, I think the elf is watching the kids as they sleep and he's in a different spot every night. But sometimes the hiding spot for the elf is just a little bit too good. For you parents, I don't think it was really an accident. Yeah. So we always want to pick out the perfect gift for somebody, and some people are easier to shop for than others. Uh, Apparently, Grandpa already had this shirt. (laughs) Not only did he already have the shirt, but he was wearing the shirt when he opened it. We all love our pets, those of us who have them. But the holiday season with the Christmas trees and the presents, it brings out new things that makes them go a little crazy, and they end up destroying our house. Oh, next one. Sometimes you want to take the dog back to the pound. Yeah. We can go back to the other one. So, this is not a picture of my son. It could easily be one, though. Um, Christmas card photos, they always turn out nice, right? The whole family's smiling, everybody's happy. But we all know the lead-up to that photo being taken is marked by complaining. The, The kids complaining about how itchy their sweater is and how their shoes are too tight and how they fall out of the car. One of the big parts of the Christmas season is finding the perfect Christmas tree, right? Um, So in our house, Heather and I had this debate for a long time about whether we were going to have a real tree or a fake tree. I was on team fake tree because that's what I grew up with, and she was on team real tree. She would, her and her family would go down to the, the tree lot at the Catholic church down the street from her house. And so the first year we moved to New Jersey where I was a seminary student, I said, you know what, we can get a real tree this year. You moved halfway across the country for me. Uh, we'll go get a real tree. So we find not a, a tree lot, but we go to this, this tr- Christmas tree farm uh, out in rural New Jersey. And you kind of imagine this sort of magical experience, right? It's going to be snowing and, you know, how it looks in the movies. Well, it was raining all day that day. Um, and, not, and like one of those winter rains where it kind of just like soaks the entire ground, you know. Um, so we're out looking in the mud and the rain, and we did finally find what we thought was the perfect tree. Uh, we got it hooked up to our car, the how people there helped us to get on the car. So we had to drive it back 30, 30 minutes or so back to our apartment. The whole time, the tree is just getting pelted with rain. Uh, we pull into the parking lot to our apartment complex. Uh, my friend Josh is there. He sees it like, what? come up and see the awesome tree that we got. Uh, so we get it up into the, into the one-bedroom apartment, and we try to stick it into the, the stand. But it's so, well, well, now you know how it turned out. But... Uh, <laughs> We try to stick it in the stand, but every time we do that, it keeps falling over because it's so wet. So we had to let it dry for like two days before we could actually stand it up in the, in the one-bedroom apartment. And as you can see, it's a little wide um, for the space. I remember I had to keep going back to the store to buy more and more garland. <laughs> um, and we couldn't close the, that, the shade for that, that patio door there the entire time we had the tree up because it was so big. But... Uh, it turned out it ended up being uh, a great uh, Christmas tree. We all have 
plans. You can go ahead and take that down, Sandy. We all have plans. We all have expectations for how we want uh, Christmas and the holiday season to turn out. And if there's one person in the Christian, uh, the Christmas movie canon who has great expectations and great plans for how he wants things to look, it, you know where this is going. It's Clark Griswold from the movie National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Uh, the Griswold family, uh, Clark Griswold is played by Chevy Chase. Uh, they live outside of Chicago. And I just realized this week that the first two movies I picked uh, were set in suburban Chicago, like where I grew up. And it wasn't intentional. I know none of, no one believes me, but it wasn't intentional. It's not my fault all the best Christmas movies happen in Chicago. Um, <laughs> So Clark Griswold, the Griswold family, he has these great expectations, these great plans to make the, the Griswold family Christmas, right? Um, so in the movie, the movie begins, they're driving out to go and get the perfect Christmas tree, just like Heather and I were at that first Christmas in New Jersey. They're driving out in their wood-paneled station wagon, which should give you a sense of just how old that movie is. Um, they're driving out, but they're not going to any Christmas tree lot. They're going to go, and they're going to look around like in the wild, like in the forest, for the perfect Christmas tree. And Clark makes his family walk around for hours in the cold and the snow until he finds what he believes is the perfect Christmas tree. You know, the light is shining down on it. Um, and he's like marveling at it. He's making the entire family look at it. And then his son Russ says, hey, Dad, did you bring a saw to cut the tree down? And, of course, he didn't. So they have to uproot the tree drag it back to the car, and they drive it uh, back home. Uh, but the, the, of course, it's too big. Clark has to cut it down, gets it into the living room, and ends up working out anyway. Um, so the rest of the family arrives, the extended family arrives, and it doesn't stop Clark from having these great expectations, these great plans to make the perfect Christmas for his family. And so for him, that includes perhaps the most ridiculous thing ever, and that is putting up 25,000 twinkle lights on the outside of his house, uh, he spends all day stapling them to the gutter and to the roof and to the side of the house. Uh, he falls off the ladder a couple of times. Um, but then finally that night, he has it all hooked up, and he, uh, he brings the entire family outside to come and look at what he's done. And they all do the little drum roll, and uh, he plugs them in. No lights come on. For those of you who've seen the movie, no lights come on. The anticlimactic moment. Uh, he can't figure out why. He spends the entire night going through the 25,000 twinkle lights to figure out which one is out and why the lights won't turn on. But that's not the problem because the next night, Clark's wife, Ellen, figures out why they weren't working. It was because they were hooked up to the garage. And so the lights come on. It's so bright, it like blinds the neighbors next door. Uh, there's a momentary power outage in the city. Uh, they have to turn on the auxiliary nuclear power to, to get the lights back on in the rest of the town. Um, so there's that whole scene, and then, uh, then there's the scene where on Christmas Eve, that's where things go really, really wrong, right? Christmas Eve is where everything goes off the rails. You know, don't they call it in plane crashes? Don't they call it cascading failures? That's what happens on Christmas Eve in this movie. There's just these cascading uh, failures. So Clark has these great ideas about a, he goes over the top. He has these great ideas about a, a Christmas present for the entire family. He wants to put an in-ground pool in in the backyard. Um, so he has put money up front to have this in-ground pool, the installation to start as soon as the ground thaws. But he is dependent upon receiving his annual Christmas bonus to afford the money that he has put up front for this in-ground pool. So he is waiting and waiting and waiting for this bonus check to come. Christmas Eve arrives, and that check still has not arrived. And, and so 
Christmas Eve really goes off the rails. Aunt Shirley, his senile aunt, shows up, and Uncle Lewis. Um, and they're a big part of the problem of why, why it all goes. So those of you who've seen the movie, you know exactly what's coming. Um, that's part of, a big part of the reason why it goes off the rails. Um, the turkey is way overdone. Uh, dinner doesn't really turn out. Um, and then uh, after dinner, well, during dinner, um, <laughs> this is so much fun doing this with you all who have seen the movie before. <laughs> After dinner, the, or during dinner, Aunt Shirley brought her cat by accident. She uh, gets electrocuted. The cat gets electrocuted by some Christmas lights and, yeah, and causes one of the living room chairs to go up in flames. Um, there's, so there's that whole scene. Um, yeah, well, that's coming. Don't worry. That's coming. Uncle Lewis decides he needs to light up his cigar right next to the Christmas tree, which causes the entire Christmas tree to go up in flames. Um, or go up in smoke, and so the Christmas tree is ruined. And, and then finally, there's a knock on the door, and the, the delivery person shows up with an envelope. And Clark is so relieved. He's so relieved that he's gotten the envelope. He thinks it's his Christmas bonus. Uh, he, he apologizes to the family for complaining and, and crabbing at them so much. And, um, and so then he says, you know what, I'll tell you. Uh, my Christmas present for you all this year is to put an in-ground pool in. And so everyone is just so elated, so excited. They say, well, open up the, open up the envelope. Let's see how much you got for your Christmas bonus. And, and so he opens it up. And, of course, it's not a check. It's a year subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> and this is where Clark really snaps. Like, he just really loses it, starts screaming about his boss. He goes out to the, I think it was the neighbor's pine tree, or, or at least, like, on the boundary of their yards. He grabs his chainsaw, cuts down their tree, brings it into the house. He brings it into the house, but there's a squirrel in the tree that gets loose in the house. Um, all of these things go wrong in the, in the movie. If anything can go wrong, it will go wrong in National Lampoon's Christmas vacation. Um, Clark tries his best to make Christmas a, a meaningful experience for his family, but no matter how hard he tries, it all falls apart. I think part of the humor of the movie is that we've all been there, right? It, it's obviously way over the top for what we normally experience, that that we all try and we all plan our best for the holiday season, but inevitably something will go wrong, sometimes and oftentimes in small ways, but other times in really big ways. And, and Clark is someone who is, is motivated by a sense of nostalgia. He wants to recreate the sort of Christmases that he had as a child. There's a scene where he gets locked in the attic on accident. Um, after walking on the drywall and falling through the ceiling, he finds a uh, he finds a projector and some old black and white film, and it, it's videos of him as a child celebrating Christmas. And he's sitting there smiling, remembering all of those good times, remembering how much fun Christmas used to be. And I think that we all have found ourselves in those places, thinking back to Christmases of the past, thinking about how wonderful and magical that they were. And and that's what we have as, a, as children. That's our, our privilege and our right and our joy as kids is that Christmas sort of just gets to, to happen for us. And that's what allows it to be a magical experience. I, I remember when I was a kid and having those two weeks off of school and how amazing that was. I remember going to the, the holiday lights show in my own, my own hometown and going to Christmas Eve with my grandparents and just those, those wonderful cherished memories of Christmas that it really was the most wonderful time of year. But then as you get older, 
you become the one who is responsible for making Christmas happen for others. And with that comes a sense of pressure and a sense of stress, that we have to make Christmas look perfect. We, we start to feel like Clark Griswold, that we have to make the perfect family Christmas so our family can talk about it, so we can create these sort of cherished memories for them. And there's that scene at the end of the movie where, uh, after Clark has lost it, his dad comes and finds him, and, and Clark says, how did, you, how did you and mom do this every year? And, you know, and his dad jokingly says, I had a lot of help from Jack Daniels. And uh, <laughs> But the point is, is that there is a lot of pressure. There's a lot of work that goes into making Christmas happen. And as we get older, we become the ones who are responsible for that, for our kids and and for our grandkids. And uh, Heather and I were talking about that recently, that since we became parents, that Christmas has started to feel a lot less magical than it used to be. And the reason is, is because we are now the ones responsible for making Christmas happen for our son. And with that comes a sense of pressure. We want everything to go according to plan. We want him to have memories that he can draw from in his own memory bank. We want him to have these special, special, wonderful experiences. And we all want that. Especially in this time of year where God seems to be a lot closer than usual. We want to experience what this season is actually all about. It's about connecting with God. It's about connecting with Christ. But the sense of pressure, the sense of wanting everything to be perfect and everything to be just so and to to go according to plan, it can make us and cause us to miss what the season is all about. Ellen, Clark's wife, says as much to him in the movie. She says, you're so busy making everything perfect that you're missing time with the family. All that pressure, all that stress can, can cause us to miss what we're wanting to experience in this season. If you want to talk to someone about things not going according to plan, then you should talk to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. Uh, Joseph, there, you know, remember in the Bible, there's two Christmas stories that we have kind of put together. There's the one in Matthew and the one in Luke. And Luke has Joseph and Mary living in Nazareth. Matthew has them already living in Bethlehem. So wherever they lived, it was not a place of great wealth, that Joseph was a, a working class person, uh, a carpenter. But he was also known as a righteous person, that he was someone that the the town trusted. He was the favorite son of Nazareth or Bethlehem, wherever he was from. He was an honest and decent person. He attended the the synagogue every Sabbath. He sat on the session, right? He always did the right thing. Uh, He always did the right thing. If one of his pieces of furniture was was not up to, to standard, he would fix it free of charge. And now, Nazareth, or Bethlehem's most eligible bachelor, was finally settling down and getting married. Uh, He was marrying a woman named Mary. His parents had arranged the wedding for him. The the dowry wasn't huge, but there weren't a lot of wealthy people in either one of those towns. But the wedding colors had all been picked out. The, The seating arrangements had all been put together in a way that wouldn't make the uncles and aunts upset. That's another thing that we that never goes according to plan, but that's another sermon. Um... You know, the rabbi is getting the service all together, and everything is, is going according to how Joseph plans it to go. And, and just a few days before the wedding, uh, Joseph is in his workshop working, and, and Mary walks in, and, and he can tell that something is wrong already. And, and she says, Joseph, I have something to tell you. And it's not what it sounds like. It's not what it seems. But I'm pregnant. And, and, but hear me out. It, it's, it's, not by, it's not yours. 
But an angel came to me and said that I'm, I've conceived a child by the Holy Spirit. I know it sounds crazy. I know it, you can't believe that, but it's true. And Mary sees the, the hurt look in Joseph's eyes, and, and Joseph says, you know, Mary, I, I wish you had the decency at least to be honest with me. You know, maybe you weren't ready to get married. Maybe this was all too soon for you, but um, I don't want to embarrass you, but I don't know that there's any way that we can go ahead and, and go forward with this wedding. And, and Mary turns to leave and uh, tears and rise, and she said, I know it's hard to believe, but what I'm telling you is true. What's Joseph supposed to do in this situation? I mean, what's he supposed to do? We know of only one way that human beings procreate, and the way that Mary is describing it is not the normal way that it happens. Joseph is well within his rights, within that society, within that culture, to dismiss Mary, and he's trying to do it in a nice way, to not bring her to public shame. But Joseph is also a righteous person, and righteous people always do the predictable thing, the safe thing. They're very good at, at traveling well-worn paths, of, of doing the thing that protects their reputation, their, stand, their standing in society. And they're very good at following the plan, following the plan that they have imposed upon themselves, following the plan that they think others are imposing upon them, following the plan that they think that God has imposed upon them. They are very good at maintaining the status quo, but I think what righteous people often forget, righteous people like Joseph often forget, is that to find yourself in the center of God's will is to welcome mess into your life. That things are going to be messy, that things are not always going to go according to the plan that you have. And so Joseph, just as he commits to dismissing Mary, an angel appears to him just as it did to Mary. And the angel tells him that the child that is not his, that he will help to raise, will be the, the savior of the world. And, and uh, Joseph still has a choice in this situation. I think that we forget that, that these biblical characters, that they still have agency, they still have a, de a decision that they uh, can make. And, and Joseph could decide still to dismiss Mary, but instead, Joseph invites the mess. He invites the mess that comes with being in the center of God's will. He invites the mess that will come from the, his reputation that will be tarnished in a conservative society like the one that he lived in. He invites the mess of, of people whispering behind his back, talking about how they really think Mary got pregnant. He invites all of that mess to find himself in God's presence, to invite God's presence into his life. And he invites the mess of that first Christmas, too. I know we have the two stories, but in, in Luke's narrative, they have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and, and nothing goes according to plan there, right? You know, Joseph and Mary weren't planning on being in Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus. Uh, she was almost nine months pregnant at that point. They, they weren't planning on giving birth in a stable. There was no room for the, in the inn, but yet, in the messiness of that moment, God was present. God was there. Christmas doesn't have to be perfect for it to be meaningful. It's already meaningful in what it is. That what the Christmas season, what the Christmas story is all about is about a God who embraces the messiness of our lives, a God who is not willing to be some abstraction to us, but a God who's willing to embrace our imperfections and say, I love you unconditionally, and love is always messy. 
Now, I hope and pray to God that your Christmas is not anywhere near as messy as National Lampoon's. If it is, write it down. It'll be a great story. Um, but even if Uncle Lewis burns up the Christmas tree, even if the turkey's overdone, uh, even if the, the cookies that you, that you love to bake every year are a little overcooked, even if you didn't pick the perfect present, even if everything doesn't go according to plan, Christmas still comes. Christmas still arrives. Christ is still born, and God's embrace of all of our imperfections still happens. Take it from this recovering perfectionist and a, somewhat of a control freak, ask my wife, um, that even in those moments where things go all wrong and things don't go according to plan, that is the exact moment where God seems to be most especially present. So if you are feeling the pressure this season, feeling like everything has to be perfect, everything has to be just so, it's the the first Christmas post-pandemic, right? We have to make everything like it used to be. Remember there's a God who embraces our imperfections, a God who breaks in in our imperfections. Ask Clark Griswold. Christmas still comes even when things go all wrong. Ask Joseph. God still arrives even when things don't go according to your carefully manicured plan. And in that, there is a tremendous amount of grace and a tremendous amount of love. And so may you experience in all of its fullness in this season a God who embraces you, all of you, imperfections and all. And may it help make your Christmas meaningful. Amen.